I think it's important to recognize that this industry is all built around large brands and large retailers. Most of the forms you fill out, they're all geared to that. And then you've got to figure out how to kind of fit in and where and what works, but just be skeptical of most things and just think they're, they're not built for our brand. Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Trade spend and promotions. You want your product to have a shiny sale tag at the store and help people discover it. But how do we actually get there? It's a topic that can get really expensive and really messy very quickly. So I wanted to bring back one of our favorite podcast guests and community sales experts, Jake Huber, for a 101 level episode on trade spend and promotions. Jake is the U.S. Sales Director of St. Pierre, America's number one brioche brand, and has previously been on the show to talk through brokers and first sales hires. Today, we dig into how to set yourself up for success when creating promotional calendars, calculating trade spend, and tracking results, all with the goal of driving velocity. Listen in as Jake shares about how trade spend and promotions are defined, including common types like off-invoice, MCB, or manufacturer chargebacks, and scanbacks, when trade spend and promotions are planned for the year, and how to make sure the promotions you plan actually happen in the store, tips for navigating free fills and BOGOs or buy one, get ones at the case level, and how emerging brands fit into a system built for big CPG, how to navigate distributor promo calendars versus retailer promo calendars, ways to keep track of promotions you've authorized and evaluate results, tips for getting display opportunities, including how you can use shippers and how to build rapport at the store level and more. And stay tuned at the end for a bonus segment today featuring Startup CPG Shelfie Award winner, Nira Maya. Jake and I will share our reviews mid-episode, and then at the end of this episode, you can catch a mini-interview with Niramaya's founder, Mahek, to learn more. Hi, Jake. Welcome to the show today. How are you? Fantastic, Jesse. Thank you. Really happy to be here. So glad to have you back on the show. You are, it's always a pleasure to have you here and to get to dive into your wisdom. So today I'm glad that we're going to get to dig into promotions and trade spend. So thank you so much for being here and just being a longtime supporter of the Startup CBG community. Heck yeah. No, the, the community has grown leaps and bounds. I'm, I'm honored to even be a part of it um, and happy to share kind of what I've learned along the way with you guys. So yeah. Amazing. Well, can you start us off? Just tell us a little bit about yourself for those that haven't, you know, met or interacted with you before. Tell us about your background, your current role, and, you know, some of the pathway that's, that's helped you uh, learn the hard way on a lot of these, uh, these promotion tradesmen topics. Yeah, no, fair, fair shout. So um, I guess I've been in sales all my life. I, I tend to be a, a sales lead in CPG. Um, I came from a couple of different routes, which I think helped me. It was very painful <laughs> along the way, but I did did uh, customer behavior da data analytics with Dunhumby, which was 8451, kind of Kroger's customer behavior arm, which is really interesting. And I supported grocery category managers there. And then I went into brokerage where we represented probably the majority of natural food brands at Kroger when I was at Harlow HRK. And it was really fun because we could represent, you know, the big boys like Kind and Cascadian Farm all the way down to people making kombucha in their bathtub, which was the fun part for me. So after that, I, I did lead sales for a few um, well-funded startups, primarily in the Bay Area for Just, Norquin Tiny Hero, as well as Right Rice. So I've done 
kind of the build from nothing and to something. And currently, I'm actually the U.S. Director of Sales for St. Pierre, which is a uh, French-made brioche company. So we make like brioche hamburger buns, hot dog buns, and kind of give you that restaurant quality at home. So I've been here for about two years, uh, much bigger business, but the fundamentals are actually kind of, I find easier when it's a bigger thing than when you're kind of building it from scratch. So I I kind of have a little bit of breadth um, across the value chain. Awesome. Yeah, that's super helpful. Super interesting career path and just like so much experience you've gained from so many places. So I'm excited to pull those pieces into our conversation today. And could you start us off with just some kind of like some definitions or like, you know, when we're talking about trade spend and promotions, like what are we talking about and why are we talking about like, you know, when is this going to come up? Why is it important to, you know, to have these conversations? Yeah. So uh, the what would be, you know, this is any dollars that you put toward what I think is performance or investing. So if I'm going to take my, my product costs $5 for the retailer to buy it, sometimes I'll give them a dollar to lower the price, maybe a dollar, maybe it's 50 cents, depending on the retailer, they'll, they'll do different performance for different levels of investment. And they can be structured in just a number of ways. But ultimately, this is to drive trial. Um, you, the biggest lever we have as salespeople and we have as brands is really driving trial for people to try the product and make sure it's great. Nothing catches your eye like a yellow tag in store uh, or a discount to kind of offer that. Um, and, you know, we we all want to invest in trade. Uh, it's definitely probably the most important uh, factor that we as salespeople manage and are responsible for and help execute. Um, but yeah, there's there's all kinds of promotions from ones that take off the invoice to you only do the ones that scan through and we can kind of get into some of that. But really important to drive trial and um, it's really taking any dollar to invest in price performance that we would consider trade. So coupons can be, uh, coupons can be considered trade funding, uh, but maybe the setup fees come out of marketing's budget, but actually the redemptions come out of sales budget oftentimes. So, but every company is a little different. Right. And can you talk a little bit about the, like the chain of, you know, say you have a product, you're selling it to a distributor and then the distributor is selling it to the retailer. What are the different pieces of trade within there? Like you're giving a discount to the distributor, then, you know, do you have, sometimes you got a separate calendar with the retailer, maybe talk us through some of those scenarios. Cause I think that can get a little bit confusing of like where the, who the money goes to, who's, you know, who's sending you invoices and those kind of things. Yeah, no, it's a fair question. So usually with a distributor, they're going to want a a calendar from you uh, and a calendar is going to break up over their periods or months. And they typically want an off invoice. So that means that Literally on the invoice they send to purchase the product, the discount's taken off as a line item. So everything you ship to them is 10% off or 15% off. And those are generally the the percents that they want off. Um, And so then what typically happens is then you have the retailer on on the end that is actually going to receive that. The distributor doesn't always pass through 100% of the 15% that you're giving them. In fact, I count on almost none of it going through. Um, it's almost like, uh, and I'm not saying this cynically, but it is a little bit of a pay to play. Distributors need to make money. They're holding inventory. Um, but very little of that goes through and you can actually talk to your, 
customer relationship manager at the distributor. And sometimes they have different relationships. If it's Whole Foods, they probably either don't apply the OI to Whole Foods because you deal directly with them, or it's an independent that actually that's one of the only ways you can promote with them is through doing an off invoice through a distributor. Um, You can always go to the end retailer and either add on what would be called an MCB or a manufacturer chargeback. So that means that all the product they receive during that window that you specify uh, will actually get a discount bill back from you. So not only will you get an off invoice from the distributor, but if you run a deal at the end retailer, you will get a deduction for that later. Um, Highly recommend going the extra mile and working with those end retailers. One, because that's where a critical relationship for your brand is with the buyer um, and not just the distributor who is purchasing you, but it keeps that kind of value chain all the way down so that you can monitor that it reflects with the consumer, which is the most important part here. Right. And you mentioned off invoice and you mentioned that that's, you know, that's literally coming off the invoice. Can you talk about some of the other common terms we might see like scan back? You know, we can't go through all of them because, you know, there, yeah. there, there's so many, but some of the other like common terms we might see and like the differences between them. Yeah. Uh, so I pretty much bucket into three distinct categories and they go in advantageous against you to all your ad, all the CPG advantage. So the one that favors the person who's purchasing it is the OI because there's no expectation of performance. They're literally getting it off the invoice and they could sit on it. You also need to watch what they're ordering during these timeframes. I know big orders look great, but if you know your brand and you know the velocities, you need to make sure they're not ordering too much for two reasons. One, they're either taking the discount and loading up but smaller brands are generally not that important for them to load up on. What they're more likely going to do is order too much and then end up all the policies are in the distributor retailer's favor. So they're just going to have you literally buy it back at their book price, not the price you sold it to them for, but the price they retail it at. So just be careful with OIs and monitor your POs and make sure those windows are accurately reflected and that they are ordering enough. The one in the middle is an MCB. This one has a lot of different names, but MCB is kind of the most generic term for them, and it stands for manufacturer chargeback. It usually involves how many cases moved from the distributor or from you to the retailer's DC or store. So if I move 10 cases during the promotion, during that window there, and there was 50 cents per case, they're going to deduct me those cases that moved for 50 cents. Pretty fair. It's middle of the road. Um, They're not going to order up too much, but you're also not getting perfect performance uh, on terms of chargebacks. And then all the way at the kind of best case scenario is what we would call a scan or a scan back or a scan promotion. And that really is kind of the easiest one to remember because it's whatever scans through the register. So this is the perfect scenario because the consumer has pulled it off the shelf. They've bought, everyone's bought it at full price, but then they pull it off the shelf and then they ring it through the register. As soon as it rings through the register, the discount that you contractually agreed to then will ultimately get bundled and deducted back from you. Um, And that, of course, is the most efficient use of your capital for for promotional spend. Um, And sometimes you'll do a mix. You'll do an OI with the distributor, but a scan with the retailer and kind of marry those two up. Uh, Sometimes it's an all in MCB and you just got to know who's taking what where. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. And I'm glad you brought up the, you know, that you have to watch your POs, even if they're big and they seem exciting, because I've run into that. I think I've mentioned on the show, we had a distributor try to order 54 pallets instead of 54 cases. And we had to fight to get that 
changed, but I was like, I'm pretty sure I read in the terms that we have to buy this back at a really wild price if this doesn't sell. And there's no way you're going to sell that much because it was like a 10 store um, chain. And yeah, we really had to fight. And I, I met another ops professional that their brand was on Shark Tank. They're kind of getting to you know, medium size. And, you know, they were a contractor. Their whole job was just monitoring POs coming in and going, nope, too high, lower, 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 lower. And I'm like, it's such a weird concept because you fight so hard to get those orders and to get the big orders. And then at some point you're like, wait, I got to watch and make sure they're not too big. Oh yeah. I tell you, it's the, it's probably besides just fundraising and, 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 and financing your your actual inventory and capital this is the second other part that will put a like medium stage you're getting into the national players you're starting to get POs and you don't know what that looks like but the dream that you've been building tells you to believe that they want 54 pallets and it's so seductive to want to say let's do it let's get everyone in gear and you know entrepreneurs and founders are, are get it done people and they want to get things done they want to solve problems and these are typically challenges so it's just one of those things that it's keep in the back of your head that this may be too much. And have we put in the right kind of frameworks for evaluating what PO should look like? Right. And then at what stage are we thinking about timing on this? So like when we're recording, we got Valentine's Day coming up and you're like, oh, it'd be great if we were on sale for Valentine's Day. You know, how how far ahead are typically these calendars being planned out with both the distributor and the retailer? Um, you know, when are you building these calendars in the in the cycle? Yeah, it, way out ahead. It's really important. At least I found it quite valuable to create generic national promotional calendars. These are inter- almost internal documents that list your items and the months and when you would preferably be promoting each item or group of items together. Um, and so, when you have that to start. Then when it comes, and it's usually front half, back half of the year, I'll get a front half KE calendar or UNFI calendar. They may want you to do the whole year, but they're really confirming the first half. And this happens like, like six months prior to the to January. So you're like, you're doing this in June for the next year. Um, and you kind of mark out what it is. Distributor calendars, I mean, look, I, I, I do want to give them, a, you know, money to operate, but I don't dump a lot of money and expect performance in distributors. I mean, I think even they'll tell you that that's not generally how it works. Now, you can't like stiff them because they we are working with them and there are ways to activate huge swaths of independence through OIs. So don't ignore them. Uh, but I try to maybe skinny those up and I put more responsibility on on the sales team to make sure we're being or whoever the founder to be with the end customers for how we um, we set it up. So yeah, typically it's front half, back half. And then with any large national customer, it's pretty much the same thing. Actually, when you're going to present to these customers, you actually should have a your national promo calendar, at least with the items that you've presented to them and how you're going to support it at what allowance level. Now, before you present it, you got to know, does the distributor you're going through, how do they work together? And your broker can tell you that or startup CPG, Slack channel can tell you these things. These are great questions to ask. Like, does UNFI pass through my OIs to Whole Foods? Like, even sometimes I have to be like, wait a minute, do they? I I can't remember. So always find out how they interact specifically. Um, And then, uh, yeah, these are, and then those plans are built. And then I typically, you know, you're still looking at you're going to revise that plan here or there, um, depending on the relationship you have and the opportunities that come from the retailer. These things adjust nominally throughout the year. But if you're making a change 
say in February 1st for the next 14 days, don't do it. Don't put yourself on a contract. You're going to lose all your money. Um, there's just a certain level of confidence you're going to have to have with understanding how retailers operate and giving them enough time to actually process and have it flow through their systems. So you kind of have to get a good feel for them. And each one of them can be different, but two, three months minimum, if you're going to make adjustments here or there. Right. Yeah. I like to think about the, you know, if for, at first it's like, oh, well, Seems really easy to just like put something on sale. I see stuff on sale all the time. And then you got to think through of like, oh, well, somebody had to make that tag. Somebody had to put it there. Somebody had to set up the display that you paid for. Like there's all the the logistical pieces that have to happen. And those don't, those kind of, you know, sets and setting that all doesn't happen overnight and may not happen at all. It's something you got to check that, you know, you maybe that you went on sale if you paid to go on sale, you know, maybe, maybe all that setup didn't turn into anything. You know, it's really funny. I was literally just on LinkedIn and a guy was making a comment or made a post about, um, you know, we gave all this funding. We even paid ad fees to be on. And then lo and behold, the promotion didn't even happen. There was no shelf tags. There was no nothing. But better believe you paid the ad fee and they are going to deduct because there's a contract in there. And he was like, you know, what are we supposed to do here? And the only comment I could give him was, look, you, it's important to understand the sales plan cycle. That's that's the term. Like, what's the sales plan cycle or what's the timing of sales planning at this specific retailer? So the broker should know this or even Startup CPG. There's people who know this. I can tell you how Kroger works. Like, hey, I know that about, you know, 10 to 12 weeks prior to execution, everything on their end is actually loaded. That means the tags, I can confirm whether my allocation to support because we want them to order product. Oftentimes that's called an allocation. Like, hey, we're going to promote it two for six. Can you allocate a case per store to make sure we have inventory? These are perfectly acceptable asks in exchange for a big promotion that you're trying to do. And it guarantees that they're invested in buying it and supporting it. But I have a check-in at some point kind of before that I then go to the, the retailer or the broker and say, hey, confirm that tags are loaded, allocations going out, and everything's going to happen. If we find out that it's not happening or it didn't happen and the retailer can't do anything about it, then I will put requests in to cancel the contract and start saving emails so that when the deductions do come, we can kind of, I don't want to say fight it, but fight it because it, it didn't get executed and you have enough time to react as opposed to then assuming it all executes and then finding yourself out money with no promotion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th that's super helpful to know that you're checking in that far in advance to see, like you said, the whole load in process. That's very helpful. So then you have a chance to adjust course if it's not going to happen once, you know, when you it's great also maybe to have, you know, someone go and check in the store and see the tags. But at that point, it is too late if your tags aren't there anymore. Like, you know, the sale lasted a week. The sale is over by the time you, you know, you can correct it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, can you, could you maybe walk us through an example of like, you know, you're, you're setting up your, your calendar with a distributor, you know, maybe like a K here, UNFI, and then it's a, it's a customer where you're also going to set up a calendar with the retail tailor that the distributor is going to sell to. Can you talk through like kind of how you would approach that, especially as an emerging brand and you're like, you know, you're, you've signed on with this new distributor and they're like, oh, great. We'd love for you to spend, you know, 30 grand with us this year and to be in every flyer that we possibly have. And then the retailer says the same thing. And you're like, cool, I will have no money after this. Um, like, you know, how do you navigate those those conversations? Like, how do you think about like, you know, 
a little bit of pay to play or like I got to maintain this relationship, but I also got to like do something that makes sense to because our ultimate goal is to drive trial. Yeah, I think it's important uh, stepping back and it's not exact and I can define this later, but you should have a very healthy what we would call trade rate. And that means for every dollar you are selling, you're investing a percentage into a kind of a, a rolling accrual that you use for trade funds. Emerging brands need this more than mature brands because they have household penetration. Everyone knows who they are. So you guys need, and when you're doing your COGS analysis and your profitability analysis and finding out how much money you need to raise, you need to account for a very healthy trade rate. I mean, I'm talking, depends on category, but like 15% minimum, and it can be like 25, even 30%, depending on the category. So with that said, um, if I am going to a retailer distributor and I'm trying to navigate all this, I try to do... I prefer an order of operations that keeps as much leverage on our side as possible. And you got to be scrappy for this stuff. (laughs) So the first thing I do is I don't pitch distributors. I have no interest in distributors other than the service they can provide to get to my, to the, to the retailer. So I spend a lot of time pitching directly to retailers, whether that's through my own email or through brokers, getting meetings, getting them excited about the brand, showing them that promo calendar that that we can afford. Know that before you walk in there, depending on the retailer, what distributor they use. So that's a relevant question. You know, if they're like, are you set up in Kehi? It's like, yeah, is that your only source? Sometimes they have secondary distributors that you might be set up in. I try to find this out before I meet with them or before I even email them. I want to know how they like to operate their business. So I will go to the end buyer. I will present our products. I want them to say, we love it. And then she says, great, go sit, go set up with UNFI if I'm not set up with them. And that is the best intro you can ever have into UNFI because it's a customer who they care very much about saying, I want this brand. And they typically will respond in kind and get you set up and start working through that. Now, now I've got the retailer interested. I've presented a promotional calendar to them. And then the question becomes, does the distributor participate in passing OI? over to this retailer or not. Oftentimes they don't. Sometimes they do. If they do, what I will typically look at is say, okay, I offered maybe price points or an allowance level, like say it's a dollar off to the retailer. But if I've got to participate in UNFI's program and I'm doing 10%, I will actually kind of pull that out of the dollar and move it over to here, make sure the retailer understands what I'm doing and that they understand that if the, the pass through from the distributor is not all the way there, they'll ask for more money. But I try to keep my stuff clean and whole and say, hey, I'm going to give this to them. We're going to pass it through this way and then we're good. Now, I'm going to pass as little over as possible, especially if I don't have a broad set of customers with UNFI. Like they're going to tell you that's the way to build your business at UNFI and there's no shortcuts and money does not get you anything. What gets you stuff is TLC and phone calls and actual communication with retailers, even if it's independents. You know, pick up the phone. Their their numbers are listed. Like literally call them. Um, don't rely necessarily on their programs, although they can't help. So I will then, the UNFI is going to go, okay, they typically will set you up without asking for a national promo calendar because the retailer said, I want to bring them in. So typically you can set up and then start shipping. And then when the next cycle comes around for promo calendars, then they're going to give it to you and go, okay, now it's time to start planning your promotion. So recognize that there's huge gaps between these kind of events. They may give you the calendar right off. They may, I haven't found that to be true, um, but it could happen if it does. I will try to do maybe one a quarter, um, you know, 10%. They, they may they may complain. They may say that's not enough. It, it never is. But look, 
You own your budget. You owe it to your shareholders to do the right things and negotiate the right terms. And if you, again, the leverage is the customer wants you. You don't need to make that many arguments about why you belong where you are. They're asking for you. So silence is golden sometimes in that scenario, but do a good sell job (laughs) in the beginning. (laughs) So that's typically how I try to handle it. Um, And then look, there are some programs in KHE and UNFI and NASA, like they, they do have good programs. Don't get me wrong. I'm not totally cynical about them. There are some that actually work and do well. Um, you just ask the Slack channel, uh, talk to your brokers. It, these are pretty well understood programs, which is, which is helpful. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I've, I was at a brand that, you know, new CPG brand got a lot. All of us were new to CPG on the team, got sold the dream from the distributor of get set up with us, set up a national calendar, and we'll help get you into all these stores. And you pay a lot of money. And then you're like, wait, we didn't get any into any stores. And they're like, well, that's your job. <laughs> and yeah. it is. Um, but it's easy to kind of get sold on that dream in the in the setup process. And so I'm glad you brought up, you got to start with the retailers and create that demand. And then it makes the conversations with the distributors totally different because you're already then you've got a customer, like you said, that they care about that's now wanting to get you set up. It totally changes the leverage that you have. Yeah, you're, you're basically co-opting the retailers clout with the distributor because you have none. And so, and this is my philosophy. Look, there's there's a lot of ways to go about this. I just think startups and especially in this environment, your game is literally finding every ounce of leverage you can. And a lot of that comes through the order of conversation you're having. And I can tell you, it is endemic that people are like, what distributor? I, I, it's filled in Slack. Like, well, should I work with this distributor? Should I not? It's like distributors just think of them as like a 3PL. They just deliver product. And maybe that's a bit cynical, but I really only care right now about convincing a buyer at a retailer to take me on. If you do that and focus all your efforts on that, distributors come along for the ride. And and then we can have a great partnership once things are moving and we've got some anchor accounts going through and then we have actual business to discuss and it doesn't overexpose you on spend. And again, it just, it keeps you in control of what you can, which is very little. (laughs) So take it where you can get it. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's take a quick little break from this conversation to talk about uh, the Nirmaya samples that you receive. One of our Shelfie Award winners. Uh, Yeah. Would love to get your feedback to kind of tease at the end of this episode, there's going to be an interview that you can check out to learn more about Nirmaya, but we'd love to hear what you thought of the samples and how you've been using the product. Yeah, I will tell you, I mean, I get, I've had tons of samples. I love, this is the most fun part of this business that I miss from brokerage is all the samples that come and go. So I, I envy your position here, Jesse. Um, <laughs> so I was quite skeptical. Um, I've represented quite a few shelf-stable Indian kind of sauce companies. Most of them really don't give you the experience or kind of even close to what the experience is going to a nice, you know, curry house or good Indian restaurant. So I was a little skeptical. Packaging was phenomenal. The presentation was just kind of A++. And then um, I got the family. So I have three small children and my wife, of course, and we got all three out, tried it with different dishes. So we cooked it literally as a marinade on chicken. We used others as a sauce and then others as dipping and kind of went around and, and just talked through it all. Um, overall, super, super positive. Our our favorite, of course, was Street Pav Baji, which was just like out of this world. Did not have that like weird preservative flavoring in there. It was really natural. It came through, the flavors came through. 
through. Uh, the spice level was on point. They cooked well. They didn't end up like burning or anything. Like they, they're, they actually, you know, position themselves as dips for dinner, which I'm always skeptical on these broad use cases, but boy, I mean, it did, it really did deliver. Um, so I think the packaging is beautiful. I think the product really kind of came through and I was actually surprised at how versatile they were like to be used as a dip, to be used as a marinade, to be used as a sauce, all three of them, uh, kind of delivered, which, uh, as a first round product company stuff, you just, there's usually something I can criticize, but there wasn't much. Nice. I love it. I love that you got the whole family involved and everybody tried. I love that. Yeah, we're definitely big fans at our house. Like uh, I think I mentioned to you before the show that I got to try the products at Expo East and just fell in love. And it's become kind of my go-to, one of my middle of the day snacks of either some heat up a pita bread or some chips and, you know, actually use as a dip. But also, like you said, adding it to, you know, an entree at home, like so versatile. So yeah, I'm so glad you got to try so delicious. And, you know, so listeners stay tuned at the end to learn more, hear the story behind the product because it's just so fun. And we're so, you know, glad to have Nehemiah in our in our startup CPG community. Totally. That well-deserved shelfie. And uh, honestly, I look forward to see what, what they do. Um, she's got she's got something here. So I'm excited about it. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks for taking a little shelfie break there. And yeah. I'm also wondering, you know, it also comes up in these conversations like, I feel like it's it's changing a little bit. We've got some like digital op- options, but you know, like retailers will have like their flyers or their their advertisements. Like where does that come up in this conversation? How do you navigate that? Do you, you know, are those still effective at some retailers? Is it something you negotiate back to with something else? Like how does, you know, the the physical advertising that retailers may still be you know, hanging on to or using play into this? Yeah, I think I, I try to keep an open mind about most of them. Um, if it's a nominal cost and look, I always look for support on, it's always fair to ask for something in exchange. You know, they're asking you for something. It's fair to always ask something back, whatever it may be. Either it's a discount off the price or I can do it if you plus out a few cases for me, or can we run a demo at the same time? You know, whatever it may be. Um, a lot of independent or smaller kind of natural food houses their flyer programs are great. Like, awesome. Some of them, I, they're just kind of check the box, pay to play. And, and it's kind of a revenue center for, for some. Um, again, I think Slack CPG channel is a great place to ask these types of things. Like, what do you guys think about this? Um, I, I will, you know, ask brokers or, of course, my own experience in doing them. I think by and large, probably it depends on the retailer. The larger they are, kind of the more skeptical I am uh, mm-hmm. because... That's not their thing. Uh, but if, you know, shopping experience, I think of like Air One, you know, like holy experience walking in there and the things that they do in their stores matter to their customers. And so I kind of look at the psychology of it and think and just run it through my own analysis. And then, of course, ask few. But if it's within the price of doing it, I'll try anything once as long as it won't break the bank. And then it is important that you also ask if there's a flyer program and they say how great it is. What kind of reporting do we get off of this? Can I get some reporting? A lot of these smaller independents don't have formal reporting, but a willing buyer or marketing person there would be like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll run your units over the time period. Just remind me. Um, so again, data is kind of gold. So is money. So is product. I typically keep it in those realms. But yeah, I mean, they, they can work. I, I put it through my own filters um, that usually have to do with yeah sociology and, and, and scope and size. What will work. Right. And that that you know, makes me 
you know, want to bring up too the, I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by all the numbers involved in this of like, you know, what, what is going to be profitable? How do I keep track of all the different retailers that I gave discounts to? Like, I'm curious from your perspective, like, you know, and we have some resources that I can link in the, in the show notes too, that you you've used in other webinars, but you know, what kind of quick math are you doing? Are there resources that you're using? And how do you really stay organized so that you know who you've given discounts to, who you haven't? You know, how do you keep track of all of it and not get overwhelmed? You know, how did you get overwhelmed when you were first in this of like, oh, what's all happening? I'm kind of curious about that piece. Yeah, I just wait till finance starts sending me emails. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, it, it is. This is the technical side of it. Um, and sometimes as a founder or a sales lead, when you're one of like three executives, it, it does fall on you guys to do it. The quick and dirty way is, again, the trade rate. And don't let good get in the way of perfect when it comes to this stuff. Generally, the perfectionists are not generally the, the founders. Sometimes they are. But if it comes to money like this, I just try to keep in broad generalities and keep within a trade rate. So if I'm looking at it and going, all right, Air One, I'm going to project I'm doing two units per store per week over 52 weeks in your stores. This is how much gross revenue I'm going to be making off of you. Then I look at how many units we move in promotion. You literally just calculate out how much I'm spending as a percent of total dollars. And as long as I'm roughly within the 15% trade rate, and remember a 15% trade rate, maybe nationally. And so I may spend 30 at Air One, but I spend 10 at, I won't say it. So <laughs> you sometimes you, and that's the part of strategy is where are you investing? Where are you kind of maintaining? And what are you just letting run? And, and different retailers operate in different ways. So it is helpful to understand that. But yeah, I think generally a nice Excel spreadsheet that has account tracking on it that not only is, and sometimes it's part of your forecast and you can see like, all right, how much am I spending? And then you check in on that. Sometimes the finance wants to true it up quarterly. Sometimes they want to do it annually. Sometimes they want to do it semi-annually. And it's nice to get into a room with people who are true finance people and really start checking the receipts and saying, okay, where actually are we at? And then they may go, you're underspending, like, let's go. We've got this, these funds accrued. So um, very rarely am I in that position, but um, it's it's good to have that check in and, and to build processes with your finance lead to help manage that stuff because it it's that unseen trade and you don't you don't get the money right away. They're holding it, so it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on, and that's typically how I've done it in the past. Right. And how are you? You know, there there's the finance, like you said, like the true up super uh, you know tactical numbers that are going in your accounting system, but also how do you track? just kind of generally like if a promotion is is working like you know if you don't especially if you don't have access to you know to syndicated data you mentioned like an independent retailer may be able to pull that like how what does that look like for you how often are you checking in with people on a promotion and kind of just doing some quick math of like oh yeah that that was a sales lift you know that should probably keep going um you know how does that work to kind of evaluate what's working what's not on the fly yeah a really good topic um so i try to experiment a little bit to see what happens at different price points and that back to that like national calendar. Yeah, you got a national calendar, but in the first few years, you're unsure of what investments get what and what's the best performance. And to make this even more for DHS, it depends on the retailer too and what they do. So um, what I typically try to do, and Daniel had a really good little ROI calculator that we used to use, but 
in essence, it's pretty simple. You take the units as long as you have data. If you have the data that shows how much you're moving, you can evaluate a promotion. So I try to get an idea of what my baseline volume is when we're not on promotion by item. And then when we promote, we see what the uplift was. So let's say I do, you know, five units per store per week, but then on promo, I'm doing 15. That's three times the amount. But I had to invest, you know, 50% off the cost to make that happen. So then you have to take the actual dollars you're making off those units. So the 15, but they're at $3 instead of, you know, $6 or whatever it is. And then you say, okay, with that uplift and the discount applied, did we make money? Was this a positive ROI? How big of a positive ROI? And then you want to see kind of how elastic it is. So that's when I ran a two for four. What happens when we don't give $3? We give a dollar and we run a two for five or two for six. Do I get the same uplift for less spend? Heck yeah. Optimize that promotion. This is how it works. And this is how you become an expert in your in your category and your products. So when a buyer is talking to you about promotions, don't be afraid to tell them how it works. They actually are looking for you to tell them how it works. Or if they're not, make sure you tell them how it works. Say, look, we can give you this. This is how it'll work. We get the same performance out of this. Sometimes when they're asking you to go deeper, that's the perfect rebuttal. It's like, well, why would I go deeper? Well, because we'll sell more. Actually, no, we run these promotions nationally and they actually don't go higher when we do this price. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Then that maybe spurs a different conversation. So it's always important to kind of, you know more about your business than you might let on, even though you're kind of faking it till you make it. If you know your numbers and you know what your budget is, these makes these meetings much more productive um, and kind of negotiation starts at no to be trite, but it does. Like somebody's got to say no, it's either them or you. And then we're going to discuss what works out of it. Um, but you got to kind of at least have a, a good understanding of what performance does. And it takes well, it takes a year or so because these promotions, like we talked about, take a long time to plan. Then you got to make sure they execute. Then you got to properly get the data from them. And all these things are fraught with you might, you may not get it. And sometimes you got to piece in the holes where you don't have it. So you got to kind of be scrappy, but that's how we've done it. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. And I think I've heard you mention before, like when you're launching with a new retailer, that it that you don't necessarily want to be on promo your first month while things get organized. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like when you're getting first getting into a retailer, like, you know, is yeah. there a strategy with when you first go on promo because you're assuming there's some times for logistic to sort out? Like what's been your experience with that? Yeah. Um, so certain retailers are really good at launching. Obviously, the bigger they are, the more complicated and kind of risky they are. I typically try to keep promotions off for at least six weeks prior to the launch date. And it depends on how big the retailer is. Um, if and And oftentimes, Actually, the timelines necessitate it so that by the time you actually get approved for new distribution, you're three months beyond when the promo needs to be submitted by. So they're already making an exception for you to get a promotion in. Now, I will say retailers the, this day and age are actually requiring discounts. I said discounts, not promotions, discounts the first like eight weeks of orders. They want two months of OIs so that they can offset the cost of resetting 2000 stores and there's no performance. There's no shelf tag with a discounted price. You're literally just kind of giving money. So just know what they're asking for, know why, and then kind of plan accordingly. But if they're not doing that, yeah, I will wait at least six weeks before I try to promote. Yeah, that makes sense. And and how do free fills fit into this conversation or free fills something that you negotiate with? Does your case pack size come into thinking, you know, anticipating future free fills? Like, 
you know, can you talk us a little bit through that topic? Yeah, free fills. Um, so I typically look, you can you can offer a free case, you should look at your case overall pricing. If you have an 18 count that's $75, free case, yeah, they're not actually asking for that. There's usually a dollar limit to the free case fill. Um and then with distributors, you can set up parameters where it's like your A stores I'll give, you know, 75% off for a free case. Your B stores I'll give 50% off a case and your C stores I'll give, you know, 25 cent 25% off or maybe none. Um, always negotiable. Everything's negotiable, but sometimes it's policy. The bigger the retailer is and that's what they are. And sometimes it's department led. The good news is, is most natural food brands um, have a little bit of grace when it comes to this because retailers, at least for the past 10 years or so, recognize that they're you know, undercapitalized, but they resonate with consumers that are very valuable to the retailer. So they will often say, okay, if I, if you won't do a free fill, plow the money into trade. So back to trade and trade is, these are, those aren't necessarily working dollars. Finance should actually be tracking the doors you expect to get and maybe 50, 50% case fills for these doors. That's not even part of your trade rate. So just understand that. And then if you can pull that trade rate uh, or you can pull the 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 value of that free fill out and then replace it with trade, then it's a win. You don't need to you know triple your trade budget just for that. You can just say, yeah, I'm going to move this money and then demonstrate how you're going to do that. So you calculate you know the thousand stores at twenty dollars a store. I'm going to invest this in trade in these three vehicles, and then that can offset it, or that's one way to do it. Um, and then back to knowing kind of your numbers and your budget. Like if you've gone through the exercise, you kind of know what you can afford, what you can't afford. Um, be transparent with them, you know, kind of get on their side of the desk and say, here's my problem. I'm ready to do this, but if I do this, I can't promote. And I want to promote here because you're a high, low retail. Like show them the problem you're trying to solve for. And you'll generally find people are willing to work with you uh, or at least let you know if you're wasting your time or not, which right. I generally appreciate. So, And can you explain the term high-low retailer as well? Yeah, sorry. So um, retailers operate uh, in different kind of strategic realms. A high-low would be one that heavily promotes. Think Kroger, Safeway Albertsons, you see the yellow tags. They're constantly promoting. You're probably on promotion a minimum. 12 weeks out of the year, more like 16 and 20 weeks out of the year. Um, and then there's on the other end of the spectrum, an EDLP customer or an EDLC customer. I kind of use the term interchangeably, but that's the Walmarts of the world. They just want your lowest price, take the trade rate you have and plow it into the cost of goods. So instead of selling it for $3 at a 10% trade rate, sell it to me for whatever. 290 or 270. And that way they're getting their discount and your trade rate set and you're good to go. Um, and then there's ones that are called hybrids, which are just greedy and they do both. They want your lowest cost and they want promotions and they want slotting. And you should generally kind of stay away from those in the beginning. Um, it's that's that's for down the road. I, I usually stay away from them. I don't mind pitching them. I don't mind spending the time 30 minutes to have a great conversation with them because they are good retailers. Uh, it's just it's a different kind of product atmosphere. And if they're not believing in it and they're just looking at you for money, I just values aren't aligning right now. And that's okay. It's just not right now. Um, so that's that's generally how the the retailer market will will split up. Yeah, that's helpful. And on the on the free fill like cases is are bogos sometimes part of the conversation too of those first setups or or would you rather go 
like, you know, put that money into into trade or do you ever negotiate for for like a, you know, buy one, get one on the case level? Yeah, I BOGOs are and I, I hear Daniel echoing in my head, but BOGOs and they typically aren't good. They don't really give you the return. They want you to fund almost half of it down the volumes through the roof. But again, it's something you got to lap every year. So you're going to have to do it every year. And most brands that are listening to this are premium positioned. It's about building brand and premium and getting people to spend extra to have an experience, not value. So you're using a mechanic that's for mainstream products on premium products and doing that early on, unless you're trying to move some cases because you got inventory problems, which totally acceptable, man, run it through, do a BOGO. Like it, it has to happen. Sometimes it's just reality. But if you can avoid doing them, I try to negotiate out of them or do something different unless we have some protections like, again, allocations and kind of, it's just... If it's your first few customers, like mm, I'd stay away. Yeah, I like I like that uh, phrasing of you know you're trying to use a mechanism that's for a super big brand on a small brand, and it's just it's you know the wrong you're using the wrong tool to to solve a problem. Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that this industry is all built around large brands and large retailers. And most of the forms you fill out, they're all geared to that. Now, specialty distributors and stuff like that are not. They they typically know what we're trying to do, but for the most part, just understand that the current is moving for these guys. And then you've got to figure out how to kind of fit in and where and what works, but just be skeptical of most things and just think they're they're not built for our brand. These are things that we have to pioneer and navigate through. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. Um, and how how about um, displays? Like, is that something when you're setting up a, a calendar with a retailer? Are you talking about like, hey, let's get an end cap? Is it something you're talking to the retailer of like, hey, what do you find works well for this product? Like, you know, do you sometimes, you know, can you negotiate to have a retailer give you a display if you sign up for a certain amount? Like, curious about kind of getting yeah. those like special end caps. Is it worth it a lot of times. How does that work? Yeah. Displays are great. If you can get displays, friggin' do it. Uh, they are few and far between for emerging small brands. Um, mid-tier small emerging brands can get them as well. Um, and different retailers value smaller innovative brands more than others. And that will speak through how their programs are priced and positioned to you. So take note. Um, Kroger's a great one. Kroger recognizes their consumer behavior. They know what they will give for a display to a natural food brand. They actually carve out space for these small brands because they know they resonate with certain consumers that are valuable to them. But other ones are straight pay to play. Like it's, I mean, it's ridiculous too. It's like $100,000 for a four week end cap or a pallet drop or something. These are just not programs uh, for us, but I absolutely will target. So if I have a highly seasonal item like brioche burger buns, I will, of course, make sure that Memorial Day, 4th of July, and Labor Day, we are putting kind of our best foot forward. Those are the promotions that literally make our budget. So, um, and the retailer, if you're moving enough volume, will will kind of do that. Now, I will underline that. And again, when you're planning with the retailer, when you get the front half or back half promotional calendar, you can put in there, underline, you know, hot promo display, question mark, have a conversation about it. Ask them, what can we do to get on display? What can we do for off shelf? Um, and then sometimes it is a pay to play. I mean, Whole Foods, you want a TPR, or you want an off shelf, you just pay them uh, a lot of money, but you just pay them. And that's the only way you can get it. Other ones, they're looking at the consumer 
And then some of them have like sales thresholds. So they would never give you a, they will only give brands that can do like a quarter of a million dollars in sales a week, a display, uh, an end cap display. It's just, it, we're never going to hit those thresholds for brands like us until, you know, well after we've been developed. So yeah, displays are always something to talk about, always focusing on them, find out where you can get off shelf. Oftentimes I'll, um, I also invest in shippers. I think shippers are great for like, like Nehemiah. Perfect example. Like imagine getting a, and you got to watch the count on them. So you don't want too many that they sit around, but you need enough to where they sell through and you're not going to make any money on these. So just forget it. You're going to at best break even because not only do you have to pay for the corrugate and all this, you have to put a deal on it on top. But these are kind of ready-made displays that you can get off and they will allocate them out. Um, and there's great providers that can put together really good stuff. So that's another option when it comes to displays that you kind of create your own destiny with it, um, which is what I've preferred to do at Scrappy or brands um as opposed to the ones that have like the, the weight of 100 unit per store per week velocities yeah yeah that's that's very helpful i, I like i'm glad you brought up shippers because that's a super interesting lever and then you mentioned tprs tpr is temporary price reduction correct yeah just trying to make sure we hit some of the acronyms TPRs <laughs> can be called rollers or tprs or uh that's usually it and then display um and then there's there's all kinds of names the, in the, the the alphabet soup around it is just kind of ridiculous so i I typically would just say, is this a, this a TPR? Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. And then sometimes there's TPRs with what I call sales plan mechanics on top of them. So sometimes you do a TPR, but then think like Amazon Prime members at Whole Foods. There's this additional 10% that can go, that can qualify on offers. And I see that more and more. These are, I think, great because by function, they are scan-based deals. So I may have given an MCB for the TPR, but the little mechanic that rides along with it is a scan back to me. Now they're more expensive, but if I'm only paying for the ones that actually redeemed it, I'm down with that. And then we can see how that works because usually the uplift on TPRs with a sales plan mechanic attached to it are really good, usually. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I remember like uh, here in Oregon, we have the chain New Seasons Market, which some people may be familiar with. And New Seasons, one of the things as a you know shopper of the stores is like every week there's some category that's 50% off. And I, you know, before I worked in CPG, I was like, that's so nice that they do that every, you know, that's so nice of them. And then as I, you know, as our, as our brand got into it and I had to, it was like, you know, here, you need to fund your 50% off participation in the 50% off sale. I was like, Oh, okay. I understand how this, uh, this works now, but it was interesting to like measure it and actually get to see, you know, it was a scan back to be like, Oh, we moved this many more units by doing this deep discount and then kind of see how it flowed over. But yeah, it's, it's so interesting when you kind of, the light bulb comes on of, Oh, it's not all the retail. It's not just the retailers being super sweet, putting out the hang tags for fun, uh, funding it all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. But yeah, just like you said, I mean, it's a 50% off. It's effectively a BOGO, but it's a new seasons thing and their consumers are kind of trained to it. And that may not devalue your brand. So it's all contextual. It's like, all right, well, where are we? What are we doing? And so that I would probably do over again, or I'd be happy to sign up for it. Whereas maybe another BOGO that's at a conventional retailer that just blows through a bunch of product and devalues us. Ugh, maybe not. I don't know. So that's a really good point. Yeah. And, um, you know, and when sometimes with the local retailers, you've got a little more, they're trying to support local brands or with small retailers. If you show like, hey, we're going to do some demos. You know, I've had a store be like, hey, you did so many demos this month that our employees just went ahead and made a display for you because they've been enjoying the product so much. And you're like, 
oh, that would have been thousands of dollars if totally. I had put that in our promo plan. But, you know, totally. it's it all goes back to that retailer relationship that you talked about in the beginning, just being so key versus trying to go through the distributor. Yeah. And it goes not only from the buyer level. I think you made a good point. Like, I will gladly send free swag and products unannounced to that store or their break room for just their associates. Like, go there, visit, hand out stuff. Like, these people remember the brands that are there. If there's ever a new store opening, be there. Every executive is there. They're all walking around. And guess who's there? But little old, you know, whoever foods sitting there, handing out swag, coupons, ready to do it, making the event even better. And they remember that stuff. And so when there is a display, or there is that stuff, you'd be surprised how much they execute better because there's that kind of personal touch behind it. Same thing goes for me. Like I will remember, I'll fluff people's products I've never even met just because I like them and I see them in store and I'm like, I got to leave the shelf better than I found it. So totally. Awesome. Well, any other, you know, I'm, I know we could talk about this for hours. There's so much here, yeah. but you know, for, for today's time, like any other kind of parting thoughts you want to leave us with on this topic? No, I think uh, promo calendars by account, make sure. So we do these like national promo calendars, which are generic, but you, you definitely should be keeping very detailed and they're, they're usually structured by how the retailer counts time and promotion. So sometimes they're two week, one week. So you, you build the Excel sheet that your actual promotions are for, you drop in the allowance amount you did and what the dates were and the contract numbers to reference because when the deductions come nine months from now, you need good records. <laughs> so keep good records so that you can clear deductions and fight the ones you need to. But that would probably be the biggest kind of piece of advice is know your numbers, keep good records, and then don't let kind of, you know, perfect get in the way of good. Awesome. And where can people find you if they want to connect with you? LinkedIn, Slack? Yeah. yeah, what's the best way? Totally. I'm on Startup CPG on the sales channel mostly. So I'll try to um, throw my hat and answer questions there. I'm on LinkedIn if you guys want to. Um, and I'll be at the Alley Rally, that's for sure. So I missed last year's, but I will definitely be there this year. So excited to see it there. And yeah, if I, I'm happy to help anyone. If they, I'll have a conversation. If somebody wants to kind of bounce some ideas, if I can help, I will. Awesome. Well, thanks so much today, Jake, for just like chatting through this like topic that can feel so nebulous and like really kind of hard to nail down. And I just so appreciate you sharing your wisdom and experience with us and, you know, all you do for our community. So thanks so much for being here. Super excited to see you in real life at the Alley Rally. And yeah, just really grateful for you. Yeah, no, Jesse, you've been doing great. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, kind of blather on. Hopefully it added some value and um, didn't confuse people more. But yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Don't go anywhere just yet. Stay tuned for my mini interview with Mahek all about Niramaya. Hi, Mahek. Welcome to the show today. So glad to have you here. So nice to see you again after we got to meet at Expo East, which was awesome. Uh, so yeah, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Jesse. It's very nice to see you and meet you again as well. It was such a pleasure catching up with you at Expo East. And I can't wait to speak with you further. Yeah, awesome. And I am, I've become such a fan of your products. I got to try them all, you know, at your booth, which was incredible. And then you were kind enough to send me some product and it's been a huge hit at our house our friends uh have been trying and like i 
I just want to eat some every day in some different form. Like one of the, one of the, the, like, I want to dip chips or, and sometimes I'm not, I sometimes I'm not even, uh, I don't even heat it up. I'll just eat it cold out of the jar because it's just so good. So, um, yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan. So would love to hear like some of your, you know, some of the background. What's the story behind, you know, behind you launching this business? Yeah. Well, I love your review. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, the journey to launching Naramaya Foods has been, my personal growth journey. And um, I used to work for retail back in the day and long hours uh, and travels due to my visa status as an immigrant just kept me really busy. And, you know, through that through that busyness, you know, my lifestyle kind of got, got strained. I was not eating healthy. I was not uh, living my best life. And that eventually leads to one or the other form of, you know, disease in some or the other way. And when I found myself in that situation, I unfortunately lost my visa as well at that point. So it was like God telling me to quit my job and do something else with my life, really. And that's where the first thought of Naramaya Foods really started. And it was actually not with CPG. It was with health coaching. So I became a health coach first after, you know, working for five long years in retail and learned really about my body, about the nutrients, about what causes those deficiencies, inflammation, etc. And I really found that what I grew up eating was so inherently nutrient-dense and wonderfully made and packed with spices and herbs and plants and a lot of flavor that that was missing from the U.S. retail. A lot of Indian food was uh, really delicious that was available in the U.S. retail, but it was not uh, the expanse of uh, the nutrient-centric cooking that mostly happens in Indian households. It was mostly flavor-centric, and um, I wanted to add to that. Uh, so Niramaya Foods' first line of products, as you said, dips for dinners, does exactly that. We make accessible Indian flavors and formats that provide nutrition and plant-based cooking to an average American consumer. That's amazing. That's so cool. And when did you find Startup CPG? Yeah, that's a great question. So it was the peak of the pandemic. Uh, I think it was end of 2020, beginning of 2021. And all of us were like uh, making these connections virtually. Uh, practically all my mentors, advisors, you know, people who connected with me were all virtual at that point. And Startup CPG was doing these clubhouse uh, talks. And Clubhouse was such a fad at that point. So I wanted to join. The only room I ever went to was Startup CPG's rooms where um, either one of their experts were speaking at the time. And that's how I found the Slack channel. And I joined the Slack channel and it has been um you know, amazing journey of growth since then. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love that you found Startup CPG and are an active member of the community. It's so awesome. I'm also curious, since I got to see you at Expo East, like how was your Expo East experience? Well, Expo East was my very first trade show and I feel incredibly lucky and uh, grateful to be able to attend it within the first six months of launch, uh, first of all. Secondly, it was an amazing show. It was so overwhelming to meet so many people at the same location, retailers, service providers, customers, influencers, PR, news. And so as a young brand, it was a great learning experience as well as great conversations and feedback from retailers we eventually want to be at and uh, gave me a good roadmap of planning growth sustainably. And making sure that in this economic climate, we are able to sustain the decisions we take and keep our partners informed. So I think that was one of my biggest learnings from Expo East was to plan growth sustainably for, you know, given the times we are living in, especially as a bootstrap founder. 
And I'm really excited about the opportunities that that brought for us uh, in 2023. And I can't wait to share those. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah. And you had such a cool booth and you were wearing the coolest pink suit that I think I've ever seen. So props to you for that. Just like, yeah, the whole aesthetic of your booth and everything was just incredible. Thank you so much, Jesse. That means a lot. We put so much um, time and effort into designing the t-shirts and the swag and the booth and pink seemed like a color which went with the entire vibe of Niramaya Foods is just vibrant, life-giving, loving. Um, and that's what Niramaya actually means. It means wellness for all. And I wear that pink suit every time I represent the brand. It's become like my lucky charm and I'm not doing away with it anytime soon. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. I'm also wondering, so when you like when you developed these like amazing dips and then you're trying to, you know, eventually they, they had to end up in the beautiful jars and um and packaging that you have. Like, what was that process like to take something, you know, yeah. something that you've created so delicious and then get it into the packaged form that it's in now? Yeah. Uh, so I ideated uh, on these sauces at the peak of the pandemic in September of 2020, actually. Um, and I was cooking and I was, uh, you know, changing and tweaking factors to make it more nutritious and delicious for me and my family. And from then to actually reaching this package was two long years uh, of trials and errors and production and scaling up because I knew that uh, with the supply chain issues that everyone was basically facing, uh, we had to have a shelf-stable product. And to go from the kitchen top recipes to having a shelf-stable product that didn't taste very sour, was good tasting, had a long shelf life, didn't use any preservatives, was actually working a lot with uh, process authorities and food scientists and co-packers to understand their mechanisms and to actually convert my flavors into some things that they could scale up in their processes. And it was a great learning experience. I, I'm sure not a food scientist by any means, but I've learned a lot in the process. And uh, it's a long process, but I think it's uh, really uh, worth it. Yeah. Are there any stories that stick out to you from like around launch time or it could be before or after um, that? Yeah, just stories along the way so far that have like really, you know, really stick in your mind. Yeah, I mean, uh, I laugh at my failures now. Uh, back then, they were uh, really scary. So I I remember this one time when I was producing at the commercial kitchen back in the Bay Area and um, I was just sampling and testing locally and it was really low, low scale, uh, just like a um, sample run. And I made all these batches. I followed the process and I left them in the trunk of my car. And then the next morning, something smells really horrible. And that entire batch got fungus. And there was this oh. one bottle that, you know, was open, leaked out and that corrupted the entire batch and oh my god when I look back at that day I really thought that this is the end this is the end <laughs> you know my company I'm not seeing another day of making these sauces because I'm so repulsed by the entire picture but then you know life goes on we found a co-packer so all is good yeah oh my gosh that sounds so stressful <laughs> <laughs> and how, since you have some background in retail, like how has that helped inform your strategy and how you think about your business having that background? Yeah, my background was largely in fashion and uh, tying supply chain to category insights and bringing in uh, cool new products which could drive value for the retailer. And tying back that into the food world really made me understand uh, 
to look at supply chain more closely you know things like on time and full deliveries and chargebacks really hit the suppliers hard when they don't think about that from the get go and knowing that i think has helped me sustainably plan the growth reach out to buyers with empathy uh, more than desperation uh, you know being on the other side of the table i understand how many people they are de- dealing with on a day in and day out basis and the criteria that actually make products successful at retail is not the same as thinking about it from your uh, passion and point it has to bring value to the person you're selling to uh, whether it's consumers or retailers or investors or different kind of decision makers so i think it's helped me in that way in really empathizing with the people i'm writing to yeah yeah that's amazing i also i think you got to present at was it like a nosh live event can you tell us about that yeah so um i presented at nosh live pitch slam this year in june of 2022 it was an amazing experience um nosh in general puts together these great events i think two times a year and the pitch was a good opportunity to put it out into the world something that i was like really doing by myself developing behind the scenes working with all these co-packers and you know packaging and uh, you know product and everything so it was the first time we ever revealed our line of products we hadn't even launched properly at that time and we didn't even have inventory so two days before that event was actually our planned trial run and i was flying back from colorado to new york to actually pitch for that event so it was great i think we got some amazing feedback from buyers and investors and retailers which was really exciting overwhelming at the same time because of the newness of our brand but it steered us in the right direction in many ways yeah interesting and you know i definitely want to talk about you know more specifics of what's coming up for you soon but i'm also curious since you have some background in e-commerce as well like how do you view e-commerce as part of this are you going to be more you know retail focused how are you thinking about the different channels yeah that's a great question jessie so with respect to our sales channels we definitely want to be omnichannel but being a single person team right now i'm really focused on retail um retail becomes our biggest and most preferred channel based on our packaging so we ship glass and that becomes really expensive especially this time of the year with delays and everything we found great partners to give us great rates with shipping and dtc so that's definitely a channel for us longer term as we build more content more awareness and marketing but we prefer retail and the reason being that this is a innovation in the natural channel and this is an innovation where people were used to simmer sauces and flavors and profiles so i really want people to discover this brand right next to what they were already shopping with so that it can give us feedback in terms of um, how was our innovation perceived what are people making with it and how are people choosing what they're choosing on the shelf today versus when our product is placed right next to our competitors for example so i think i really want feedback from the retail side of things and that's why it has become our topmost priority yeah that makes sense and because the product is so versatile do you have to do some education to kind of help people show how you know i love that it's versatile but also then you have a lot of ways to use it and every time i see i'm like oh i hadn't thought that i could do that too like like i said i mostly am just like i always just want to eat it with chips because it's so delicious but like i'm curious about the education po- component of helping people show all the different ways they can use the product yeah well i'm glad you asked this question because i ask this question myself every day and innovation comes at a price because you got to educate your customers i think of it in a slightly different way so if you've ever 
seen, uh, you know, an Indian friend or Indian co-worker or Indian colleague of yours eat at home, they would probably have a plate and a flat bread or rice and they would, so eating with hands in India is very common. So they would break the bread, dip it in whatever they are eating. So Indians have been eating stir-fries, vegetables, lentils, which we call dals, as a dip for ages. And it's the largest form of tapas-style eating, assembly-style eating. Uh, and so that was the intent behind that. You can just open the jar and dip whatever you want in it and have a view, right? So it's, on one hand, I can think about it as, you know, creating these various recipes and educating my consumer and spending these dollars. On the other hand, I can think about ways of really relaying this simple message, just eat and eat, open the jar and have your meal, you know. So I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that that is my other favorite way is to heat up. I have these gluten-free like pita breads that I really like and I'll heat up one of those, cut it up into strips and then also um also just eat it. Oh, love, so good. Love that. Amazing. Well, you're already there. I didn't have to educate you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think once people try it, they're just going to start, you know, they're going to eat it out of the jar and start adding it to, to everything because the flavors are just incredible. Exactly. Trial does drive a lot of traffic for us, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, tell us about what's coming up next in 2023. What are you thinking about? What are you excited about? What would what should we look out for as consumers? Yeah, so I'm based in the Northeast. So Northeast becomes the territory we launch with. And uh, I really want to build relationship with a retailer that we first launch with uh, in the natural channel to be able to support them with, as we talked about trials and creative merchandising and demos and all the school stuff to really drive traction for our product. So you can definitely look forward to retail expansion in 2023. Um, a lot more cooler updates with respect to uh, different merch that we... So we had these bamboo spoons and silk sleeves giving away at Expo East. So we'll do more cool, fun stuff like that in 2023. We have gift sets on our website right now that people can order for holidays. So we are doing this really cool box uh, that's a surprise um, on our website. And it's on pre-order. So you can order gifts and dips for your friends and family. And we continue to do that a lot more next year as holiday approaches. That's amazing. Yeah, that all sounds that all sounds super exciting. Awesome. Well, is, is there any other stories that you want to share with everybody before we wrap up? Well, I just want to say it's a journey being an entrepreneur and the people that come become associated with you uh, along the process are the best. I think CPG industry is the best when it comes to finding advisors and mentors. I just want to say I'm really grateful for everyone who works with me, helps me and just cheers. It's it's just amazing. Yeah. So glad to have been able to meet you and get to try your incredible products. And I encourage everyone to go to Niramaya Foods. So it's N-I-R-A-M-A-Y-A Foods. So NiramayaFoods.com. You can also go to Instagram at Niramaya Foods. So I encourage everyone to follow along. I'm so excited to keep following along. We're all cheering for you at Startup CBG. So yeah, just uh, so glad that you could join me today and tell us a little bit more. It's been really wonderful. Thank you so much, Jesse. It was so, uh, so wonderful seeing you and it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation and I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 
If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, we'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our Startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer. And on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.